0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we took things back to the 60s and watched the film Barefoot in the Park, starring Robert Redford and Jane Fonda. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but it might help you a little bit if you have seen the film. Um, But if not, and you do proceed, just be aware that there are a few light plot spoilers for the film Barefoot in the Park. Enjoy. You know what I really, really enjoy? Genuinely not being able to remember what not being sweaty feels like. Like, you know, that kind of just funk, the sweat funk that that surrounds you when it's this hot.
0: (laughs) I know the feeling. It's particularly good when you're doing a podcast, um, because then you have to try and soundproof your area as best possible, um, which always goes down incredibly well.
1: Yes, exactly. I've got the door closed. The windows closed because like, even though we live in a quite a quiet area, like the car noise, even with the windows closed, you still get the car noise in there because my mic's quite sensitive. So yeah, i mean, in a closed little, little box of a room and I'm drinking a lot of water that like, you know, when you get the water cold out of the tap, but it's not even cold because <laughs> it immediately gets warm and gets warmed up to the room temperature, which is like about as hot as the sun. So there it is. We're in the middle of a heat wave and, you know, everyone's talking about it because as British people, we're just not built for it. You know, we we don't have things like air conditioning and readily available ice and, you know, commutes that aren't awful and trains that aren't awful and that kind of thing. You know, as a British person, you just can't go about your daily business in this heat. I think we're losing a lot in productivity right now.
0: Yeah, but Britain in general is built to be mild, you know, bland food weather that's always mediocre um so whenever something extreme comes our way we don't really know how to react
1: yeah it's the same if we ever get snow in the winter like everything just completely grinds to a halt well, that hasn't happened for a few years but yeah we're we're a distinctly underwhelming people
0: <laughs> that's the best way to, to talk about <laughs> great britain it should be underwhelming britain
1: yeah <laughs> The United Kingdom of underwhelming Britain, not in the European Union, hanging off the side of it, like a damp sock off a washing line.
0: <laughs> I was thinking more like the leftover bit of scrambled egg from a breakfast. That's how I think <laughs> of Britain outside of the EU.
1: Like um when you've had you've had a big a big fry up and there's there's lots of ketchup and brown sauce and other crap on the plate. And you know, there's there's like the sort the egg is sort of too far into the sauce and there's too much sauce on it. So you're hungry enough to eat the egg, but you don't want to because there's too much sauce on it and you know it's not gonna be quite right. That's what we are.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly
1: it. Uh but we're not here to do a podcast about the weather, are we? As much as we probably could and would like to.
0: Yeah, we're this isn't this isn't big boys do talk about the weather.
1: <laughs> big boys do 35 degrees. <laughs> Big boys don't cloud.
0: Big boys don't cloud, yeah, I think that's right.
1: Yeah. You're wearing a vest, though. I don't own any vests.
0: Yeah, I am wearing... Uh, Paddy got a very brief look at me before um, before I turned off my camera on this call. And I am wearing this fabulously garish green vest at the minute. Um,
1: it was almost like what I believe the kids call a Snapchat. It was,
0: yeah. Uh, All I needed to do was just show you a tiny piece of my penis and then it would have been the perfect teenage
1: experience. (laughs) Take it, take another little piece of my penis now. (laughs) (laughs) I also thought um, I was going to open with a song, actually. I was going to go, You come to me on the hardest day of the year.
0: (laughs) That's brilliant,
1: but I couldn't think of a next a second line, and I didn't want to besmirch the the wonders of you know what will eventually become the the centerpiece of the um, the Godfather musical. So that's yeah. obviously like the kind of chorus line. We need a bridge. We need a, a verse.
0: It it well, it is like the first scene of the Godfather, so it would be our our spectacular opening number. Um, I'm trying to think of what would be what would be a good sort of like middle point showstopper for Godfather. Mm. Maybe Yeah, maybe that's when we bring out the a horse's head in your beard.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's gotta be it. The horsehead. Horsehead showstopper. That's my new band. Yes.
0: <laughs> it could be the name of um a Palomino Club album actually. It fits with the horse theme.
1: This is true, this is true, yeah. Or um Bojack Horsehead.
0: Bojack Horsehead.
1: Yeah, working title. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a hell of a week. It's Wednesday as we record this, so it'll be another nine days before this episode goes out. So hopefully, by the time this episode goes out, the heat wave will have cleared, and you'll just be like, "What the hell are these guys moaning about?" But if it's yeah, if it's still here by the time this episode goes out, I'll probably just be like a a husk, like an an act. People talk about the concept of a husk a lot. But I feel like if this heat wave carries on, I will genuinely find out what it means to be a husk.
0: <laughs> I and mean, the the one good thing I feel about um, about heat heat waves in general is that every time someone mentions a heat wave, it um, makes me think of a great song by IMX called "Heat Wave," which is like a wonderful disco tune, like disco electro tune.
1: Oh, sweet! They're one of those bands that you like a lot and that I know very little of.
0: Yeah, I'm a huge fan of IMX. It's, that's that's my recommendation this week. Go and listen to IMX. If you like, yeah, if you like electro pop, listen to their first album. And if you like, I don't know, um, they're kind of like if Muse went goth and electro at the same time. It's probably the best way to describe them after that. They kind of go down this really weird, unique route.
1: Instead of becoming more, more bloated than the most bloated Thanksgiving turkey you could imagine.
0: Muse has become a dying whale washing up on the shores of Bognor.
1: <laughs> Bognor. Bognor Regis. What a town. My uh, mum my lives near Bognor Regis.
0: Yeah, my, um, my uncle used to live near there. So when I used to go see them, I used to go to Bognor quite a lot.
1: Yeah, it's a funny town. And my grandad and my great uncle go and watch the local football team, the Bognor Rocks. So big up the rocks. Ah, oh. they always go and watch more on it. boxing day
0: oh really rocks on rocks on boxing,
1: yeah, Roxing Roxing Day
0: rocks and <laughs> <Rocksing> day <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to come down to Bogner, ah,
1: <laughs> oh. so let's get to talking about film. This week's film is barefoot in the park, which is your choice, so obviously. You had seen it before, I had not. So how? when did you first see it? How did it come to you?
0: So I saw it, um, it was a little while after Katie and I started seeing each other. Um, It's one of her sort of like favourite films from when she was younger. And um, so we sort of sat down and watched it then. And I've not seen it since the first time we saw it. Um, But I remember really enjoying sort of like the quick dialogue between characters. And it's got this incredibly 60s vibe to it um, as well which I really enjoyed.
1: That, that's always really nice when you're in a relationship with someone and you discover things that they really love but that you're either not aware of or hadn't seen in that light before. I mean sometimes you, you can't share absolutely everything can you? You can't love all of the same stuff but it's always nice to, to, sh- and to, to by the same token to share things that you love with the other person although sometimes it can be a bit heartbreaking if they're just like yeah whatever (laughs) but um this is obviously a nice moment
0: yeah there's 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 many things that i like that katie does not enjoy um that i've tried earnestly to get her to to watch or to listen to or to read um the latest one is because there's the new blade runner film coming out i'm trying to get her to watch the original and she is being steadfast in her refusal to watch it at the moment that's a
1: shame why would you not watch Blade Runner? It's great.
0: It is, but it's yeah, it's a very slow plodding movie that sort of builds on atmosphere, which is which is great for me, but I understand is not great for everybody.
1: Yeah, that's true. And speaking of slow and plodding, I actually I, I really enjoyed Bearfoot in the Park. It was really good fun, but um, I didn't have any any kind of nostalgia or anything like that going into it. Um, having never seen it so but I did find it a little slow in parts but I think that's just because it's a 60s film and it's just not what we're used to you know unless you watched a lot of these kind of films when you were growing up it's it's not going to feel the same it's kind of like how you know how with with graphic novels they talk about visual literacy like if you read a lot of comics you're used to looking at images and text together and it makes sense to you it's just a different kind of approach to filmmaking isn't it
0: yeah, I think there's a twofold issue with Barefoot in the Park in terms of pacing because I find that there's, with Barefoot in the Park, there's real peaks and troughs in terms of how quick it feels. Um, and um, and I think there's, there's two aspects of it. And one of them is the fact that it was made in the 1960s and it feels very 1960s as well. It's not got that kind of revolutionary feel that other films from the era do. Um, and also because it's based on a play... Um, it very much feels like a play that you happen to be watching on screen as well. And I don't think that helps when you're used to the pace of a movie, um, that it is very much purely a purely a play.
1: Yeah, it absolutely does. Yeah, you can really, really, you can imagine it on stage, can't you? And I think I, I haven't seen that much of um, the work of Neil Simon, who wrote and directed it and also wrote the stage play and has written countless amazing films and and stage shows and apparently he's still alive 89 years old still knocking around
0: oh really wow
1: yeah so big up big up neil but um yeah they definitely like a lot of the scenes especially with the the, the neighbor uh the name victor velasco
0: yes yeah
1: the sort of farcical nature of some of the scenes coming in and out of doors and ladders and stuff and all of that, you could see how all the distinct the distinct sets would have worked on stage. Um, and maybe, yeah, at that point they were thinking film is this relatively young medium. I mean, it had been established for a number of decades, but it's still... People still thinking everyone goes to the theatre to see this, but we want it to get broader than the theatre, so we're going to make a film of it and we're just going to pop it they're more or less wholesale i mean i'd be interested to read the two scripts and see how it differs actually
0: yeah it would be quite interesting to see exactly how different they are um but yeah it does it does have that issue where it feels very much like a like a play um but i still find it enjoyable and i think some of the aspects of what made it a successful. A successful play in the first place really shine through in the film as well so you've got this great dialogue between the characters um and all these great little witty lines between people that sort of give you a nice little chuckle without it ever really quite being laugh out loud funny it just has this nice sort of warmth to it
1: the dialogue was um snappier than i was expecting actually there's a lot of lines and it's like right from the right from the get-go as well like, I think they're they're in the car. That start, starts kind of in media rays. They've just got married and you learn absolutely nothing of their relationship and how they get together. It's just, they're just married and that's it. And that's kind of play-like as well. I feel like that's another thing that if it had been, a, a, you know, something where they paid more attention to the cinematography or it was being made later on, they probably would have tried to give us more of that context because screenwriting, storytelling would establish itself through these kind of films, I guess but yeah they they're in the they're in the car and think and um i can't remember who says it but one of them says oh, if the honeymoon doesn't work out let's just kill each other and you're like okay <laughs> yeah that's the kind of humor we're going for
0: yeah there's lots of that kind of dry humor in it it stays away although lots of the um visual humor is quite slapstick the the dialogue between characters very much remains on the sort of wry side um and yeah so there's lots of great lines in it so like um when the mum is coming to to see them and she tells them about the horrible journey she's had um and at the end she's just like at the end of her story she's just like if the hardware store downstairs was open i was going to buy a knife and kill myself that kind of stuff
1: yeah (laughs) yeah you expect it of all the characters you don't expect it from the mum as well there's also stuff like he calls um, Victor Velasco. He refers to him as the Count of Monte Cristo, which <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> really <yeah>. tickled me. <laughs> and um, she insults, or like she insults him by calling him a stuffed shirt, which I think I'm going to start using quite a lot. Although it reminds me of you know in um, in Peep Show when um, Mark keeps getting like shouted at by the local youths who are clearly only like eleven or twelve years old, and they call him clean shirt. <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, clean shirt? Why is that a bad thing?
0: Yeah, it's better than dirty shirt, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> dirty shirt. That's a that's a that's
1: But yeah, stuffed shirt is a good it's a good insult.
0: I quite like the insult dirty shirt. It's like alright, dirty shirt. <laughs> it sounds a bit wrong, but in a way that you can't quite understand.
1: Yeah. We should definitely try getting both that and stuffed shirt back into into the common parlance.
0: Um so so the, the other thing that I really like about barefoot in the park um is the are the performances of the leads and the nice chemistry between the two of them as well so you've got Robert Redford and Jane Fonda are uh, Paul and Corey the um the newlywed couple and like they're two giants of the screen basically um and they always have been and they always will be they've both been in some incredible movies and incredible shows throughout their lives um and this is them i think just before they reach their peak in terms of their success i'd say that's fair to say
1: yeah i was i was doing some background reading or i think just on the wikipedia page it said that this was, they were both very much on the up uh, at this point and it was a film that really helped i think to get them into the into the popular consciousness. And I could, yeah, I, could, I can absolutely undersee why. I can I could see why they're, they're um, I think their relationship is the thing that really, really carries the film, actually. And their on-screen chemistry is very, very good. And both of them, I mean, they both look really iconic in this film in the way that kind of old romantic movies, I think, are supposed to look, or that maybe we have a kind of so- somewhat misplaced, or I have a kind of somewhat misplaced idea of, Old, what old romantic films look like but it looked like that to me especially Robert Redford I think he's he incredibly handsome handsome in this film and I've been trying to get his hair ever since <laughs> I know right um when we were watching it
0: again um Kate Katie turned to me as like he looks a bit like Ryan Gosling if he fixed his face up
1: yeah although I <laughs> if he fixed his face up yeah that is that is cold that is really cold it made made him unfair look more to Ryan handsome, Gosling.
0: More... Mate, well, you know, Ryan Gosling is a very attractive man, but you compare him to Robert Redford at his peak and, you know, there's no comparison.
1: I think there's a certain pointiness to Ryan Gosling that I think isn't quite ev- to everyone's taste.
0: He's a bit like a wolf. He looks a bit like a wolf.
1: Yeah, he's he, he's a little bit, he looks a little bit sneaky, even though he's he's the exact opposite. Yeah. He looks like he could fool you if he wanted to fool you. <laughs>
0: He'd fool you, and then he'd call you a baby.
1: <laughs> You're a baby.
0: <laughs> a baby.
1: <laughs> I, uh, I. But although I also unfortunately noticed about halfway through, um, I've been thinking that Robert Redford looked like someone, and I couldn't think who. I think he he unfortunately bears a passing resemblance to Tory MP Zach Goldsmith. Oh. Mm. Do you see that? I kind you know, of. You know what Zach yeah, Goldsmith looks like. I kind
0: like? of see it. I mean, there's a
1: there's a facial similarity and a similarity of facial expression in places.
0: Zach Goldsmith looks like the Tory party tried to clone Robert Redford, but a tiny bit of um of Margaret Thatcher's DNA got into the cloning tube.
1: <laughs> this is the worst remake of the fly I've ever heard. He's
0: got that <laughs> You put Robert Redford and Margaret Thatcher into a into a transportation tube, and then Robert Redford slowly transforms into some horrible symbiote organism between the two of them, and it ends up being Zach Goldsmith. That he he's a science experiment gone wrong. That's that's Zach Goldsmith.
1: Yeah, de- definitely gone very very wrong. Did you know, just as an aside, that he only won Richmond Park by forty five votes in the recent general election, and there were uh, over a hundred spoiled ballots. Yes, yeah. I heard that. First past the post, more like first past the fucking bollocks. <laughs> I, um, I couldn't think of anything clever to say.
0: I, I have like no problem with with people voting for the Conservative Party. Like I know that some people of sort of our more left wing side get very angry about people voting Tory and things like that. You know, vote however you want. That's absolutely fine. And like Zach Goldsmith, when he was an MP. He wasn't a real horror show. But then he he left his seat. You know, he stood down. He had that shambolic run at becoming mayor of London where he spouted a load of racist nonsense. And then he's come back again. So how much taxpayer money has he wasted through that by-election and then standing again as an MP?
1: Yeah, and through his, his mayoral bid as well, which was just the worst. Yeah,
0: and it's like, you know... Fair plays, vote how you want, but this guy is, you know, he's wasted so much of your money on his own ego.
1: Yep. Definitely a massive knob. He he would not. <laughs> he would not go running barefoot in Richmond Park.
0: <laughs> he would not.
1: <laughs> like Fenton the dog.
0: He is no Fenton. Fenton should have stood against him and then...
1: He absolutely would have won. No, no contest Fenton would have won. Um, on a similar note to that, I saw today that, um, Daniel Day-Lewis announced his retirement from acting. Um, but it reminded me of a thing a couple of weeks ago in, in Viz that my dad sent me. Um, it was one of those fake headlines and the headline is, um, Daniel Day-Lewis to play Fenton (laughs) Dogman. And that's just like, if you're going to make that joke, somehow Daniel Day-Lewis is just the perfect actor for that joke because he'd get really into it and do the method acting and stuff and start off chasing small dogs and work his way up to a Bernese mountain dog. And
0: I think, yeah, that would be great. I, I want, you know, if we can get him back acting at some point, I think we need to get him into there. But I'm, I'm, I'm very sad to hear about his retirement from acting because he was one of those actors where, like, you would go and see a movie just to see how ridiculously good and ridiculously mad he was going to be in that role yeah Um,
1: absolutely so
0: there there will be blood for instance is a phenomenal film and it's entirely down to his performance in it Um, and then you've also got gangs of new york where he is absolutely terrifying and like you've got a few few members of the supporting cast that don't really pull their weight and he just brings it all together so triumphantly on his own
1: yeah how much do you think we would have to pay him Um, to get him into sensations for him to just say the line I drink your milkshake and then walk off like there's a milkshake stand at one of the um, one of the contests maybe there's a milkshake round of the food creating contest and he's the judge but that's his only line and then he just walks off cool billion do you reckon
0: yeah I maybe I I think he's the kind of actor who'd be more impressed with the status of the project and like it's something where maybe maybe to get Daniel Day-Lewis in your film at all, you have to do some kind of blood ritual. You, you, it's it's the, the filmmaking equivalent of saying Bloody Mary three times in a mirror. You have to get out. You have to get some ancient, pre-monotheistic, religious writings. Sacrifice a goat at midnight. And... Um, and say the dark words that curse your soul, but bring you Daniel Day-Lewis. And he comes walking naked out of the woods um, and then says, you've summoned me. <laughs> how may I excite you? <laughs> the, the one thing I do want, though, is if we get him into sensations, I want him to say the line, I drink your milkshake. But you know how he does that miming action in um, There Will Be Blood. Um, I want him to actually have a really, really long curly straw into a milkshake, and then for him to be drinking it, but doing the kind of fake fake miming of of drinking at the same time,
1: yeah, one of those like really ridiculous big ones that you get at Disneyland,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly,
1: yeah, and then maybe we'll get some money from Disney, who knows the an- the animated spin-off, yeah,
0: yeah, we'll get some get some of that Disney money, and then you know they can incorporate sensations into either the marvel cinematic universe. Or into the Star Wars universe. Oh
1: my god, yeah. Yeah, they haven't announced what the last kind of spin-off film is going to be, have they? Because we've had Rogue One, there's going to be Han Solo. What's going to be the last one? Sensations. Yeah, (laughs) Sensations. It'll just slot right in.
0: Sensations, a Star Wars story. (laughs) Nothing to do with Star Wars throughout the entire thing. Just using the Star Wars brand and occasionally the music.
1: Yeah, it's like so, suddenly in like one of the one of the cooking scenes, suddenly Chewbacca's just there in the kitchen.
0: <laughs> just wearing a giant hairnet over his entire body.
1: Harrison Ford walks in. They, they walk into um, Harrison Ford, the judge at one point. He walks in. He's got his blaster on. He's in his full kit. He's the judge. He um, Guy Fieri goes to him. I love you. He goes, I know. And then he walks off.
0: He 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 tastes a bowl of chili. And then he kicks it over and says boring chili, anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah. And yeah, obviously we get the we get the so we get to if we get to use the Star Wars universe, we get to use the opening crawl. And I we'd have to write some copy for the text opening of sensations. We get to use the music. But yeah, every single time there's a scene where they're in a bar or restaurant, it has to be the <laughs> until it gets <laughs> yes, really, like... really tedious. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and wait, no, 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 it has to be that, but played by Smash Biscuits, so it's like a new metal version of that. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, It's it's got a kind of new metal, vaguely Scar rhythm to it. So you've got that really horrible, distorted tone, but like the Scar rhythms in the background.
1: Yeah, like, um, what's that band? Sonic Boom 6.
0: Yes, yeah, Sonic Boom 6. I'm, I'm fully on board with this.
1: So yeah, let us into the Star Wars universe, please, Disney. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Come on, Disney. Yeah. What are
1: you, what are you waiting for?
0: You know, we, they could just get us in because the directors of the Han Solo movie have just walked away from the project, haven't they?
1: So um, it did occur to me that I think we'd be good for that.
0: They've got two visionary directors right here. Um, Disney's been doing a great job of picking up very acclaimed young directors um, and then putting them into a major project and getting very good returns on it. Mm. Um so surely you know you've got you could do one step further and get two people who have never directed anything but who are directorial visionaries and just get them to create the Star Wars movie.
1: Of course and I mean we are critically acclaimed.
0: We can we can recast Han Solo and get him played by Guy Fieri and the radical notion of changing his character name to Guy Fieri.
1: Yeah we we are we're critically acclaimed in that we are average review on itunes is five stars so there it is i mean i think we've just we've had like one review but
0: well you know what you there we go disney's gonna get a one they're gonna get a 100 percent rotten tomatoes score out of us and let's face it it's star wars you could show someone farting into a microphone for two hours and it would get enough money to pay for a major mansion somewhere
1: Definitely. As long as the as long as the someone farting had the the epic opening music, the opening crawl, and switched to did dip in the middle, you're fine.
0: <laughs> yeah, that'll be all right. Maybe throwing a lightsaber somewhere.
1: Yeah, a fart saber. A fart saber. And a vape dog. I think we've proved <laughs> a vape a vape dog. Yeah, because they kind of look like little mini lightsaber things, anyway, don't they? The little vape pipes. Yeah. Yeah. There was a guy. Um, we played softball last night and we lost by one run. There was a guy on the opposing team who is a team that we don't like very much. Um, this guy is okay, but he was like, he was like, it was his turn to bat and he was just like on the other side of the field just having a vape. We were just like, come on man, get on with it.
0: That that's you know that's unprofessional.
1: Yeah, it's the it's the vaping and It makes it makes fools of us all.
0: Unless it's hot dog flavored vape, it should be banned. That's all I'm saying.
1: Yeah, hot dog vape. Should be the only vape. I'm, I'm pretty disappointed that that wasn't in the Queen's speech, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I know. You know, they had all that stuff about internet surveillance and, you know, people are talking about Donald Trump not being mentioned. But where was the hot dog vape? You know, that would be a way to stop people from smoking as well, is if cigarettes were hot dog flavoured.
1: Mm, yeah.
0: If he just made cigarettes taste awful for the context of a cigarette.
1: This is true, because I feel like a hot dog vape is probably probably tastes all right because you're more used to it being flavored, but if you go to if you go to honk on a cigarette and it's yeah, it just tastes like old Frankfurter, <laughs> that's not going to fly
0: yeah or, or like um moldy fruit flavor cigarettes
1: sponsored by the moldy Peaches <laughs> who are a band that no longer exist
0: unfortunately.
1: So, back to Barefoot in the Park. Where did we get to? I wanted to talk about how often she uses the word sexy, which I guess back in, like, it would have been pretty risque in 1967, I'm going to assume.
0: Yeah, because I think the 60s, um, they had a lot of romps, basically. So they had a lot of, like, vaguely exploitational movies that played on female sexuality and male sexuality. And this kind of toys with that idea a little bit But in a... I don't know. It doesn't feel like it's necessarily making fun of that kind of feeling in the same way that quite a lot of the more low-brow movies of the time did. It seems as though, like, the the character of Jane Fonda is kind of like... She's the free-spirited one. Um, But it seems as though she enjoys being sexual in nature... And it's quite nice the way that they show that.
1: Yeah, I I thought it was nice. She did seem to be genuinely enjoying herself and to be having fun with it in a way that didn't feel like it was too centred on um, titillation as much as for her trying to express for her character's development that she was enjoying being sexual in the context of a new marriage as well, which is also... Um, you know in the enjoyment of sex within marriage i feel like is something that actually still to this day is not explored well in film and for that to be ex- it wasn't a main a major point of the film but it did bring a lot to the story and i was kind of pleasantly surprised by the by how overt her kind of sexiness was and her willingness to to be overtly sexy i was i found that pleasantly surprising
0: yeah, I I think it's quite uh it's one of those nice surprises in this movie that you don't necessarily expect when you when you read the brief description of what it's about, um or when you see it for the first time. It's the kind of things that you're like, Oh, okay, and it sort of perks your interest up a little bit in what the rest of the film has to offer. And um the character of um Corey is in general I think probably the most interesting part of the film um not to, not to play down on on Paul the the very sort of like stuffed shirt uh lawyer that Robert Redford is in this but but her character i think is always entertaining on screen um like even from the early early scenes where they're on their honeymoon um and they're in this hotel and like she keeps playing pranks on him all the time um so when they're in the when they're in the lift going up to their floor with surrounded by other people and she says like oh you didn't know that I was 15 didn't
1: you yeah again that's quite it's quite an outrageous joke really
0: yeah yeah it's the kind of thing that you perhaps necessarily wouldn't even be able to get away with today in a sort of um in a movie that's going for a lower rating um sort of making jokes about pedophilia
1: If that was in like a Judd Apatow film or something, everyone would be like, oh, come on, man. What the fuck?
0: Yeah, there'd be there'd be quite a lot of um, won't somebody please think of the children's going on, I think. Um, and, And there's and there's the other bit where he's where she's trying to get him to give her a goodbye, a proper goodbye kiss. And she's walking around outside of their room in just in his shirt. And um, he's like desperately trying to get her to go back in and everything like that. And then she again makes a joke at the elevator and embarrasses him. And like, there's that really nice relationship dynamic between the two of them where they sort of know how to get on each other's nerves in the right way. Although eventually in the film, they start getting on each other's nerves in the wrong way. Um, But still during those scenes, it didn't feel as though it was all that dramatic. It was still filled with little quirky one-liners and things like that that the movie doesn't really and i think it's it's one of those things that i very much enjoy about it but also one of those things that's potentially something that might be off-putting to other people is that it keeps a very similar tone throughout in spite of what's going on on the screen
1: yeah i i would agree with that that um there's there's one there's only one kind of really big argument where suddenly it tips over and they're shouting and they're both a bit hysterical and that kind of thing and he's he's drunk and that kind of thing and the the points um later on where their relationship does seem to be going south and he is drunk it's actually quite uncomfortable to watch but as you say the um the sort of cheeriness and the the openness of their relationship is still there and their chemistry between them is still there on screen so yeah there is definitely something of a of attention between those two things. I think because they spend so long building up the we're young and in love and we're messing around and it's the beginning of our marriage um, element of their relationship that then when it does kind of come crashing down, you know, you kind of seen it coming because they've been playing, playing up to his stuffed shirtiness and her willingness to go and dance in the Albanian restaurant with the 58 year old neighbor who says that he wishes he was older because dirty old men can get away with a lot more.
0: yeah and yeah that's another thing that's um that's really it's really funny about it is that they have got this really really creepy older older um older neighbor and he's he's got this great line where where he's like am i making you uncomfortable and she says a little or yes or something like that it's like good i aim to make two women uncomfortable every week or something yeah. like that
1: that that was awful. That was just like what the,
0: what the fuck. He's just this really creepy character, but he's also one of he's he's incredibly entertaining to watch because he sort of comes out of nowhere with no real context.
1: He just appears. Yeah, he
0: just kind of appears, and then he just kind of takes them on this random adventure to an Albanian restaurant and everything like that, and then he ends up getting together with her mum, and no one seems to think anything of it apart from being vaguely embarrassed, and that's about it. And it's really strange that there's sort of like this whirlwind of a character just comes into this film, messes everything up a bit. And then it's just like, okay, yeah, there you go. Deal with that.
1: I found him an interesting character because obviously when his establishing scene, he's incredibly creepy and says terrible, horrible, creepy things that, again, I think you wouldn't put in a film now because they just sound like the kind of things you would say if you wanted to make someone look like a genuine creep. Rather than a kind of joke comedy foil creep, which I guess is yeah a major difference between um, you know the fifty years that have come between that film and now. But over the course of the next few scenes, he becomes more and more gentlemanly. I think to the point that when um, it's it's revealed that the her mother spent the night with him, it's revealed that they they didn't have sex. She just kind of slept on the floor or whatever, and he was he was a perfect gentleman and that kind of thing and then i think they 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 like properly get together at the end but yeah it it he it was nice how he i came to like him more after initially hating him so i think they they played his character off against the others quite well
0: yeah um and and i think there's that one line immediately after the one i mentioned where he's like um where he's like oh i wish i was a little bit older because then you can kind of get away with messing with people a bit more and you kind of you kind of get that sense that Um, that he's not doing it to be a creep but more to kind of troll people Um, so he's not looking to um, he's not necessarily looking to really be a be a proper creep but instead just be you know just have a bit of fun without any kind of mean nastiness behind it and that's kind of shown by the way that he does react to the mum And like, you'd expect during, because he gets invited to a meal with the mother and with the newlywed couple, and you kind of expect if he was really a nasty piece of work, he'd be spending that time trying to chat up the bride rather than the mum. But instead, that's not his intention at all. And instead, just to kind of show them a side of life in New York that they wouldn't necessarily have seen before, which I think is quite interesting the way that they played with it.
1: Yeah, definitely. And yeah, especially as it's like they've just moved a neighborhood. You get the impression that they've lived in New York before but they've just moved to this new neighborhood. There's a lot of there's a kind of long every scene one well, of the other thing that I think I I don't know if i already said it but I think I feel like every scene goes on just 5 minutes too long. And that again I think is a hangover from it being adapted from a play where you you have a long have long scenes because you can't change them. So when the scene when she she's at the apartment she's got there first and it's like the the phone guy comes and then the post guy comes and that kind of thing and it's all like people are coming in and out like a fast and they're coming up and down the stairs and stuff I got bored of those kind of jokes quite quickly because I was like you know come on you guys you guys could move on from this scene now um but it is it is kind of that scene then was kind of endearing because you're you're thinking about they've just moved into this apartment in in you know maybe a neighborhood that they don't know much about they don't know the people that kind of thing and it's a, it's like a, you've got to walk up six floors which they still have in New York which is quite interesting even though they've probably all got air conditioning in them you hear about this where people like get apartments cheap because you have to walk up five flights of stairs to get to them so I'm glad that that isn't that much of a thing <laughs> in in London I guess but it's it's good to um, to, it does give you a good feel of the, the 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 realism of that and how that impacts upon their relationship as well because there is some drama about that that is quite realist, which does play off against the the um what would you say the the not fantasy but the the ideal of being young and in love and messing around that I think a lot of people do see as very romantic and that a lot of people probably don't have because it's a very particular time in your relationship those two things i think play play off each other really well
0: yeah i I agree with you completely on all of that um and i really think that's one of the strengths of this film um and and one of the reasons that it really stands out from a lot of other movies is that it really sort of like um even, even though it's done in the movie isn't really meant to be all that realistic i think it's got this very sort of like dreamlike nature to it the the background score is always sort of like there in your face making you realize this is a comedy movie from the 60s this is a film you should be enjoying on a comedic level it still has these moments of truth in it that make it that much more relatable
1: yeah definitely it's it's very it's very relatable in that sense you know I think if you've ever been in a relationship you've had those kind of fun crazy times where you really feel you feel on top of the world and you want to just mess around and then yeah, then suddenly the, the post guy is there, or suddenly it's snowing through the roof, or <laughs> that kind of thing, you know. And
0: so, suddenly you find your significant other's Nazi memorabilia, and the awkward conversation has to start.
1: Yes, exactly. I know you're speaking from personal experience on that one. <laughs> oh, and then when um, when we get to the end after the, the 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 big fight, it's kind of the next day, and then he's like he's day drinking, and he becomes actually quite a foul drunk, and it's that is quite is yeah it's quite difficult to watch i think that establishes it quite well because he's the stuffed shirt but then he's the one who's sort of drunk and horrible and it brings out the worst in him i think um and then he's kind and then he decides to to go obviously, and they have another fight and it's yeah it's not not too enjoyable to watch but then he's in the park and he's drunk and frolicking around and she's sober and it's a complete role reversal um, which I really really like and when um, she goes down she finds him and he's he's drunk and he's like arsing around in the park I found his like his the physical comedy of him mucking around in the park like sensationally funny I absolutely loved it especially there's a moment when he's like dancing around and he picks up the bin and like puts the bin on his head and like I absolutely howled at that <laughs> Yeah, so it, it brings those two things around really well in the end.
0: Something that really helps with that as well is the fact that, you know, Robert Redford is a seriously established actor and watching it all these years later, Robert Redford is one of the greats of cinema and you don't expect him to be sort of like dancing around a park and putting a bin on his head and jumping over a bench and falling over. So you you really don't, you don't really expect that of him and it just that makes it all that better as well
1: yeah i mean this is the man who founded the sundance film festival i mean he's he's a serious heavyweight he's still looking around as well at redford i think he said he's gonna he's gonna retire soon but he's he's gotta be in his 80s yeah he's
0: um i i remember um i was randomly watching captain america 2 with no real expectations of it having you know I I vaguely enjoy the Marvel movies but they all feel pretty much exactly the same. Um and then all of a sudden he rocks up in Captain America 2 and um instantly the movie becomes that much more interesting. Um and he's he's great in it. He plays this this director of a fake um of Shield, the fake um intelligence agency um that the Avengers are all tied to. Um and he's he's absolutely awesome in it and just pinpoint brilliant. Um, but I don't know if you've ever seen Captain America two.
1: No, I haven't. I think I saw a bit of the first one on a plane. It, it's actually an amazing
0: movie. Um, so imagine a hard boiled spy thriller like The Bourne Identity, but put Captain America and superheroes into it. And like one of one of the reasons that it. Yeah, one of the reasons it's so good is that it's it's completely out of the blue and it feels nothing like any of the other um, Marvel movies. It's got this real sense of grittiness to it um, and sort of like tension that you don't get in these films um, and all of sort of like the improved characterization, everything that comes with it. So it's like the complete flip side of the coin to Guardians of the Galaxy where it elevates itself above the simple Marvel movie status by being funny and being silly. This one is like... Darker and more intelligent, and more sort of like paranoid, and by doing that, it becomes yeah, it's an amazing film.
1: Oh, that sounds really cool. I'll definitely have to add that to my list. I've still not sat down and watched Guardians of the Galaxy. Would you believe? Oh, okay. Still not watched it.
0: It it, it is worth watching. It is worth watching. I I wouldn't say it's as good as um as James Gunn's other movies, but it is it is awesome.
1: Maybe. If we have the Netflix on the television this weekend, um, we could watch it. Because you know who else absolutely adores Guardians of the Galaxy? Good old MJ, my dad. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Awesome. He's a massive, massive fan of it. So yeah, this weekend we're going up to the Peak District for my stag.
0: Stag! We are indeed. It's going to be amazing.
1: Although by the time this episode goes out, we will the stag will be in the past. So... Yeah maybe we're celebrating it now.
0: See the one thing I worry about is that um how much do you know about this stag do? You?
1: Enough I think. Uh, although you know you know where you know where we're going and where we're staying. The very fact that you're asking that question kind of implies to me that maybe there are things that I don't know. Maybe I don't know as much as I think I do.
0: Well I'm about to make a joke and it it where are we staying Paddy? What kind of area are we staying in?
1: A barn Peak District rural
0: Okay, good. That, that that's the thing. I didn't know whether Rob Sherman had kept it entirely secret from you, and you were expecting to rock up in a hotel somewhere and suddenly robs like
1: surprise. Oh, no, no. He I I was on the same email chain as all of you.
0: Okay, awesome. Um cuz 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 we're going to this very rural location in like a barn. Um and it's exactly the kind of place where I'm fully expecting one of us to find an ancient book made out of human skin with uh with, with satanic writing in it. So, you know, if if you if if this podcast suddenly ends after this episode, you know what's happened and don't come after us in case you get cursed as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, if there's no more episodes after this one then yeah, you know what happened. Go to go to Derbyshire and find the barn that's built on an ancient Viking burial ground.
0: <laughs> Cuz it is our entire situation is kind of like the setup for a horror movie. It it very you much know. is. Yeah stag do rural location what could possibly go wrong
1: one of the ushers pulling some slender man shit on me could be could <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but yes
0: but no it's going to be amazing it's going to be very exciting
1: but yeah it'll be yeah there'll be lots of big boys and they'll be not crying
0: yes big boys do laugh
1: big boys do lol <laughs> yeah so at the end of Barefoot in the Park, Robert Redford is barefooted in the park. He's a stuffed shirt no longer. He's put a bin on his head. He's done the whole works. And then they realise that they're in love again. And I think that's quite... Even though it feels a little bit like the the role reversal is a thing that I think has been done well in other romantic comedies, it feels like it's almost a trope. Um, you feel like because early on, this is relatively early on in the history of modern romantic comedy um that it's it's a good establish a good way to to see it as as an establishing of um the re- the role the reversal of the roles within the relationship that often constitutes the reason for a couple realizing that they do love each other which is always a very very satisfying way to conclude a romantic film and i think here it is done well um because there is an element of very explicit physical and verbal comedy to it um and it's it's fun you know it's it's a, it, it ends in a fun way Despite the the way that they they kind of had the the conflict um, being quite painful to watch, with him being drunk and her being hysterical and that kind of thing, the way it's pulled together is quite neat and quite fun in a way that feels does feel classic, I'd say.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think it it handles the whole situation incredibly well.
1: Yeah, that's good. So yeah, I I would um I would watch it again, for sure.
0: Yeah, no, same here. Um, I have one last thing to bring up. Um. And that is, Barefoot in the Park is an Academy Award-nominated movie starring two of the biggest names in cinema, yet not that many people seem to have heard of it. Um, and I was thinking, why is that? And I think it might come down to the fact that it doesn't hold up well from an aesthetic standpoint. So it because it looks so dated... And not necessarily in a sort of retro way; it's kind of faded with time. Because um, I was looking at some other movies that were released in 1967, um, and you've got like The Dirty Dozen, you've got Cool Hand Luke, you've got uh, The Graduates, um, you've got Martin Scorsese's first movie, uh, Who's That Knocking at My Door, um, and you've got Bonnie and, and you've got Bonnie and Clyde, um, and and one of the best early Bond movies, uh, You Only Live Twice, as well, was released that year. And a lot of those movies have gone down as being true true historical classics of cinema um, or sort of like great nostalgia pieces of the era. Um, and I was thinking that, you know, a lot of those movies, even the, uh, the ones that are seen as like nostalgic pieces, like You've o- You Only Live Twice, um They still made revolutionary advancements when it came to directing. Um, So I imagine, and you know, I wish I had a hot tub time machine to be able to take me back and watch it and talk to people at the time, but I imagine that Barefoot in the Park's direction might have just seemed normal to people when it first came out. Whereas a lot of the other movies that have stood the test of time better might have been real sort of like, eye-openers for how you can direct
1: yeah I, I i would definitely agree with that it it's a film that absolutely is not in the kind of 60s cinema canon at all really like i said i hadn't even heard of it um I asked people around and mentioned it to people very few people have heard of it um and yeah i think you're right that's definitely to do with the direction also the writing and it does also come back to keep coming back to it but the, the fact that it was adapted from the stage i think in a way that um was not hugely cinematic and that affected the aesthetic of it as well because all the 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 way the shots were framed all the kind of the proscenium archness of a lot of the shots of the the apartment and that kind of thing um even even in the in the park scenes there was kind of an arch there it's like everything had to be framed like it was on stage um and people i think i think i found that a little that was perhaps subconsciously a reason why i found it a little bit slow and yeah, the reason why I think it it hasn't endured as well it's not necessarily, although I've been saying that a lot of bits of it were kind of things that were copied further on down the line, like the way that the the role reversal is approached in the relationship I think yeah aesthetically, there isn't much there that you can that you can copy or that that becomes kind of really classic' it's quite a most of the sets are actually quite bland looking there's lots of kind of silly jokes about phones and radiators and stuff that aren't retro and are just kind of yeah just kind of like little bits that you could you could do without so yeah it just doesn't hold up in that same way for sure but at the same time I I quite like that about it and I like discovering films that don't occupy that space because I didn't go into it thinking this is some great huge classic that I have to like Um, and I think because of that I was pleasantly surprised.
0: Yeah I completely agree with you on that this this movie is not one which asks you to have expectations of it before you go in and because of that it it does surprise you just with the little quirks here and there um and i think it's something that's worth discovering for people who hadn't heard of it or who are thinking of watching something from that era um that they hadn't seen before
1: definitely i think it, it could yeah it could be a very very good entry point into um um sixties and romantic comedy and Neil Simon and those pr- approaches to playwriting and that kind of thing, yeah for sure. And if nothing else you get to see Robert Redford with a bin on his head. So that is worth it.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's always that's always worth watching.
1: So how how many bins on Robert Redford's head would you give it out of twenty?
0: Ooh I would give this mmm Sixteen bins on Robert Redford's head out of twenty
1: yeah I, th- I think i would I think I would agree with that as well actually I was hovering around 15 sixteen because all, all of the things you said about it being a, a little bit dated and a little bit slow, yeah do do knock it down a touch, but it's still it's still charming, and both of them are very very handsome and fun people who are enjoyable to watch on stage uh, on stage. there I go, see it feels like it's a <laughs> stage to watch on film. So yeah, de- definitely definitely check it out. So yeah, 16 bins that leaves four for the rest of the park.
0: Yeah, which is not enough bins for a park really. It's just going to lead to people littering.
1: Yeah, and we we wouldn't want to be accused of littering. We're very tidy boys.
0: We are. Big boys do recycle.
1: Cool. Well, that was a good choice, and it was good to go. Good to go back to the '60s, and good to do it with a film that wasn't, isn't perceived as kind of some huge, huge classic that didn't carry that weight.
0: Oh, thank you very much. I'm pleased you enjoyed it.
1: I did. So it's my choice next, but I'm gonna a little bit undecided. So I'm gonna say, do you want to go back to the same year as Barefoot in the Park? Do you want to go mid '90s, or do you want to go? to the present decade. It's a choice of three.
0: Mm. You know what? I don't think we've visited the 90s recently enough, so let's go back to the 90s. How does that sound to you?
1: That's that's I think, is a very, very good idea, yeah. So this is a film that was made in 1995, um, The Bridges of Madison County.
0: Oh, cool, okay, yeah.
1: Have you ever seen it? I have not
0: seen The Bridges of Madison County, actually.
1: I have not either. It's um, Meryl Streep, and I can't remember... The guy, but it's also someone a very, very famous male actor, Um, and this was a recommendation from my friend Matt Horan, who is a wonderful artist. He goes by the pseudonym of Dashiell Silver as an artist. um, When I first tweeted about that we were doing this podcast, um, um, he immediately replied and goes, "I really want you to to watch and to talk about this film." So um, it was um, at the top of my request, isn't it? Clint Eastwood. There we go. Yes, exactly.
0: So, so, having only heard the name of this film and the sort of cast of it, I'm fully expecting this to be some kind of gritty romantic western, which I'm sure it's not, but in my mind's eye, that's what it is. So when it turns out not to be a western, um I'm going to be spitting feathers
1: <laughs> the the um The title does kind of sound western y though, doesn't it?
0: It does, yeah gotta watch out for those bandits by the bridges over madison county pilgrim
1: (laughs) pilgrim that's that's your new thing after every sentence i say to you i'm gonna just put pilgrim on the end (laughs) dinner's ready pilgrim (laughs) um but i think um as I understand it, it it is centered around one of those kind of states fair type things. So it's um it's set in um it's I think it's set in the sixties actually. Um, I was just looking at the synopsis earlier today. I think it, it was it came out in the nineties. It's based on a book that came out in either the eighties or early nineties or maybe earlier. Um, so yeah, ad- adapted from a novel, but I think it is set in the sixties and um, centers over a five day period and an affair to do with um, a photographer who's visiting a world's fair so there'll definitely be some horses and vaguely cowboyish action if not proper western style shootouts so i think you'll get your fix
0: okay that's you know as long as as long as there's something vaguely uh, that i'd vaguely expect from clint eastwood apart from racism
1: (laughs) (laughs) apart from shouting at an empty chair
0: yeah no no chair shouting please
1: yeah Maybe that's his thing. I mean, I I think I'm actually relatively unfamiliar with Clint Eastwood's work, so, apart from some of the classic Western stuff. So I feel like the the chair incident is looming large in my perception of him at the moment. And I hope that <laughs> watching this film is going to change that.
0: See, I, I'm a very big fan of, of Clint Eastwood's stuff, which is, you know, it's quite it'll be quite good to watch this movie because it's one that somehow, somehow I've missed out on in between the likes of Million Dollar Baby and Unforgiven and play misty for me and stuff like that which is some of his other great works
1: yeah he's got to be what 80 odd now clint eastwood probably older than that yeah i'd imagine Sim- he's similar a age to robert time. redford i guess yeah yeah
0: um he was born in 1930
1: oh wow okay yeah so yeah 80 he'd be 87 me. fair play to him cool so next time we'll be watching the bridges of madison county um, this has been the Big Boys Don't Cry podcast. If you have anything to share, um, I don't have any anything to follow up on any of the other films right now. I think we covered everything in the last episode. But um, yeah, if you have anything to share, drop us an email at bigboysdontcrypodcast at com or tweet us at bigboysdontpod. We're always up for your requests, anything you love or loathe about the films that we've talked about, anything at all. We'd love to hear from you.
0: Yes, please get in touch.
1: All right, so we will see you next time.
0: Bye. All right, bye-bye.